0: Welcome. This is a podcast series dedicated to living a revenue culture. Long-term business survival requires companies make maximum profit. And the only way they can accomplish that is when they've actually created a people-first culture before they make the profit. It's the people who sell it. It's the people who are innovative. It's the people who deliver it. It's the people who make it all happen. So this podcast is dedicated to combining building your culture to building your profits. And uh, we publish two of these a month. And this week, we've got Scott Cundell with us. And I'm thrilled to have Scott. I've had the chance to work with him. So I'm I'm one of his clients. And I'm a very happy client. So I want to share what he's done for me uh, with everybody. And... He's got a fascinating business. The first time I think I talked to him, he was in Bali. And then I talked to him a few months later and he was in Ireland and then in uh, Florida and now back to his home area, which is South Africa. And he runs this global business. It's a combination of technology and lots of humans who are engaged in relationships with other humans. And it's called My Most Trusted Net. And it's software, and it's, it's process, and it's really fascinating. And the best part for me is it gets results. And so I think he's got some things to help us understand. So welcome, Scott.
1: No, thank you so much, Rick. And I just want a quick shout out to you and just congratulate you for uh, really becoming, not just in the US, but the global go-to guy for all things CRO. That's a really, really impressive uh um, reputation that you've built internationally. And it's it's just testimony, testimony to you, Rick, as a character, as a human being, your perseverance, your hard work, and also, of course, your expertise and your wisdom.
0: Well, thank you for that. And the other thing I have to say, just to kind of kick this off and put it in perspective, is in addition to all Scott's business uh, success, he's a two-times bronze medal winner in Kung Fu, At in a uh, in China, I believe a few years back, and he's mixed that into the business. So as as we go through today, I think you're going to hear some of the lessons that he learned from that level of competition. So uh, we're we're with a a rare guest today. So uh, so Scott, given this combination of your your global presence, your unique business model, your history, competitive history. Tell us how you got really to where you are today, and what does it look like that you're doing today?
1: Well, that's a big question, Rick. So how did we get into it? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur, so I've never really um, uh, grasped the corporate world. I've worked with corporates before, worked in corporates, for corporates, uh, with corporates. Um, But the big companies you know, they, 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 until recently, and this is going to talk about the living a CRO culture until more recently, it's only in the last decade or so um, that even, and even many of them still don't do it, is really adopting an understanding of entrepreneurship and what it means to actually be an individual who can thrive within an organization. We're looking right now at For example, just today I interviewed someone else and she was telling me that the US Surgeon General has announced that 71%, I think it is, or 79%, forgive me for not remembering the exact number, of all employees in the US have at least 1%. Uh, a a trait of a mental health health issue or one one severe symptom. This is serious, Rick. So we have to, you talk about putting people first. So this became my life was how do we take the spirit of entrepreneurship, take a spirit of an individuality, it's a spirit of individuality and then apply that to an organization in an innovative and engaging way. And at the end of the day, it's got to generate results. It's got to generate sales. It's got to generate revenue. So it's a big ask. I'm a small piece in a, in a very big puzzle. You're, you're a great piece in that puzzle too, Rick, but I think we're all seeing the big picture of that puzzle.
0: Wow. And, uh, I, I really appreciate that, that approach because actually I actually have a friend who's she's been on the podcast and she's one of the three or four real experts in the world in corporate entrepreneurship. So I'll have to get you two connected, uh, you know, after the, after the podcast. So, Tell me a little bit about your career history and, you know, what what it is you're exactly doing today and how you're helping because you help you help me as a company. But you help me connect with people who need my help and you do it by mixing in your team, who is clearly having fun doing what they're doing. So you're tying a whole lot of these pieces together. So share some of that with us.
1: Yeah, sure. So 25 years ago, I had I was at a job title called Digital Strategist. Um, I still today think I was the first human being with that title in the world. And yeah. I'm kind of- Say it's true, and I can't prove it, but I have a sneaking feeling I was. Um, I was in. Di- I've been in digital all for, for twenty five years now. I started off with a web design company in nineteen ninety seven. That's how long ago that was. So I've always been into all things digital. We built a CRM system um, in, the, uh, in the in the in the nineties, which uh, went across into the two thousands. Um, I. Became a digital nomad. Myself and my girlfriend, as you said, we lived in Bali for two years during lockdown. This year, by the way, Rick, you managed to get three of them. We've been to nine countries this year, (laughs) so we've done a we've done a lot of traveling. We've been chased away by Hurricane Ian. We've 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 done everything. We've um, climbed mountains in France and trekked through the beautiful ancient dolmens of Ireland. So. We've done some some great stuff and, and, and really just coming back to what we talked about from a career perspective is I really understand all things digital, but I'm very, very specific and very careful to make sure there's a very strong human component. And I totally understand that the elephant in the room, which has been sitting quietly for so long, is now moving around and when an elephant moves, it makes noise. And that's about artificial intelligence that's starting to come alive now. And it's ruffling feathers and that elephant is making some noise. The point is, is how is that going to impact human beings? And how is that going to uh, impact living a revenue culture as you talk about it? And it's going to have a role to play. But I really want to stress, Rick, to answer your question about me and my career. I'm a human first individual. That's what I do. I'm not afraid of AI or bringing other pieces in and clever systems and software and those sort of things it's important but I'm very very much a human being first and how I relate to human beings and to humanity as a whole, as a whole is my number one priority
0: well, one of the things that I I marvel at is one of your skills and it's a skill that many people claim and almost nobody and when I say almost nobody, I'm down to less than the fingers on one hand are good at, and that's creating the one liner piece. And you have done that with me uh, for two different purposes, and I can't tell. I can tell you nobody has ever done it better, and that's a very rare skill. And uh, I'm not sure how you attained it, but talk a little bit about because that's part of your work. And when I see people doing digital, often it looks like it's a shotgun and they're just doing digital to the broadest possible population. You focus and you don't focus from your frame of reference. You focus from my frame of reference to touch yes. the people I'm trying to help. So talk a little bit about that, because what you do is really exceptional.
1: Yeah, thank you, Rick. So the Captivating One-Liner was something I have been doing uh, inherently for over a decade. It was only named the Captivating One-Liner when I wrote the first edition, which is now in the third edition um, of the the ebook. And the Captivating One-Liner is one line that speaks to the pain of the audience, not your product. It's a credibility building piece, not a sales piece. It is not designed to be a payoff line like Nike, just do it or anything like that. It is specifically a line. Sometimes it can be broken up into two sentences that specifically resonates with your target audience. It's way more difficult than it sounds. It's far more complicated. And it started off with a story. I was, I was with a, I was with a client about good eight to 10 years ago and they sold steel balustrades and They made these beautiful balustrades and staircases for big companies and expensive houses, etc. And they would send their brochure out and say, look how wonderful my product is. Look at our photographs. Look how beautiful our balustrades are. And of course, they they don't get a result. And that was 10 years ago. Now you're almost impossible to try and spam people and think you're going to get a result. So I sat with them. I said, who are you trying to reach? And what is keeping them awake at night? And they said, we are trying to reach architects and after a bit of going back and forth we discovered that the architects themselves are a bit frustrated and annoyed with many cheaper imitations out there not complying to proper balustrade safety children could climb underneath and i actually learned quite a bit about balustrades through that client <laughs> interesting i can spot a, a bad balustrade a mile away in case anybody's interested find <laughs> me if you want me to um so So we sat down and we came up, because of the safety issue, we came up with a captivating one-liner called Saving Lives, One Balustrade at a Time. That allowed them to go to the industry with a captivating one-liner that that talked about the pain, not the product, and it changed their whole whole game. And that is where the power of the captivating one-liner comes in. But to lead into one of the key secrets about a great captivating one-liner, which, by the way, statistically gets a minimum of 10x your click-throughs, minimum of 10x your click-throughs. It's phenomenal. Most people don't believe it. They have to, you know, they just they just say it's impossible. It isn't impossible. So what happens with that captivating one-liner is, is I'm going to use an analogy. So Rick, I'm going to ask you a question. If you take a pebble, and I know I'm sounding all very Kung Fu and ancient Chinese here, but if you take a pebble and you drop it into a pool of water, how do you make the ripples go from outside in? I have no idea. No idea. I can't even visualize. Well, it. The fact is, you can't. Yeah. So you can't. So why are we trying to be the outer ripples to everybody that we're meeting, connected to? We 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 are. We we say we can help a, a, a target audience that's too big. It's too grandiose. Um, we're, we're not niching ourselves properly down. And now, what happens is when you when you try to. Try to try to go out there and say, "My company, or I, as a salesperson, I can help you fix this, and I can fix this, and I fix this." Because I hopefully I'll get the business here, or here, or here. It doesn't work because what you have to do, especially as a salesperson or anybody that's in charge of revenue, is once you're in the outer ripples, right? You then got to prove to them that you really are good enough to solve that one specific problem, and you can't do that. It doesn't work. You can't go from the outside to in. But if you're specific and you know who you want to reach, how you're going to help them, what their pain is, like a specialist doctor, a heart surgeon, a brain surgeon, somebody who really is specialized, that becomes your pebble, specific, drops in the water, and then the ripples. And if it turns out that somebody is not quite in your target audience, but still needs what you have to offer, they'll still come to you and say, I'm not quite within your audience, but can you still help me? They'll still ask you that question. Can you still help me? In which case you go, yes, I can. So in other words, Rick, you're still going to capture the outer ripples, but you're never going to make those ripples by trying to go outwards in.
0: Uh, I I love that. And it's, um, you know, it's part of the work that we always do is, you know we start we talk about starting from the buyer's frame of reference which is that single point it's what do they really want and then how do you message to them and we tell people to do that but we don't tell them how to do it and we can't show them how and I, I want to uh, be a test a testament to what you just said because you have driven I mean I've spent well over a hundred thousand dollars. In the last few years trying to do what you just talked about and you're the first organization that's actually helped me do that and you've multiplied the number of people that i'm now in communication with by 10 easily so you know i can i can testify to the fact that what you're talking about you're actually able to deliver on
1: thank you rick and what's important Um, is that, yes, you've got to be able to deliver on what you say. Now, the internet never forgets. So if you go out there with a kind of hard, automated, spammy, one-size-fits-all to everybody, whether it's LinkedIn or social media or whatever, if you try to do business with that person a year, two years, five years, 10 years down the line, and that person happens to look at their feed or, or the messages that you sent them in the past, and it's listed with all these spammy. Hot, that that relationship is 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 hurt immediately. So don't do it. There's no need to do that. But with the captivating one-liner, that allows you to just simply go and say, "Hi, my name is Rick Rick Mappotlin. I've just written this article or made this video entitled X. I'd love to share it with you." If that captivating one-liner is strong enough, it does the work for you. You're sharing content one-on-one. You're connecting with people, but you're resonating with them with that pebble that gets him to go, wow, okay, this Rick guy knows his stuff, professional, well-organized, backs up this crazy statement that he's just made with real stuff. I might just take his call.
0: You know, Scott, it's it's embarrassing for me to say that what you just said is disgustingly true in my history. I hired a guy back in 2016 and – he just convinced me that what we had to do was this long, spammy, you know, to me, it was very uncomfortable, but he was the expert. So I, I, I got weak and, you know, we tried it. Now, today, every week, because you're sending me so many people now, these people are coming in and in the messaging trail, when I look at them, I see this ugly message we sent out in 2016, and it's still there. It hasn't gone yeah. away. I can't get rid of it. And every time I see it, my stomach knots up.
1: Yeah. So. But now, now, contrast that, Rick, contrast that with what we did together. Right now, what all we did when we when we used this methodology uh, and LinkedIn is just the one example and those those messages that we connected with for, to new people, all we did was we said to them from from your LinkedIn profile, of course, hi, my name is Rick McPartland. I've just made a video entitled the CMO to CRO upgrade. Without the certification, you won't get a reserved seat at the leadership table. May yeah. we connect? Now, now, what that captivating one-liner does is, first of all, it can stay there forever. It's, it's a great piece of work. It's a great line. It's not a sales pitch. It doesn't matter if the internet doesn't forget, All uh, right, Never forgets. It's fine. It's, no. a, it's a great content that you shared with them. So, so this whole CMO to CRO upgrade and how it can get you a, a reserved seat at the leadership table is something that's poignant to them. And here's the trick. If somebody clicks on that, and this is where our software comes in, if somebody if somebody clicks on that captivating one-liner, we can track that they clicked on it. They're only going to click on it if they want a CMO to CRO upgrade and they want to get a reserved seat at the leadership table. If yeah. they don't have those two requirements, they're not going to click. So by clicking, it's telling us that they are ready for you at least in terms of their desire. They might not be ready financially, they might not be ready for a whole bunch of other reasons, but that's the first step of how the captivating one-liner can unfold within an outreach program in a non-spammy or non-sales pushy way.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, it's interesting as you're saying that one of the other uh, things that, that jumps up is when we talk about a revenue culture, We believe that the revenue culture is not just uh, shareholders and leadership and employees, but it also includes your customer. And so in this case, one of the things you and your software have done for us is not only do you get me connected with somebody on LinkedIn, but because they cared about that one liner and they cared about what the subject was, we also have their email addresses And so now we're able to, they'll see the, this particular podcast. They'll know this podcast is there and they know our blogs are there so that we're, we're without being pushy or in somebody's face. When somebody said, I really care about getting that seat at the table, we're helping educate them at no cost to them. And someday if they're ready, then they can come back and say, Hey, I want to go get certified. But between now and then, all we're doing is trying to make them smarter and, and see if we can provide them some value. So your your combination of the one liner and the software, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about the software because I've been in the the CRM business since the early '90s when it was called Salesforce Automation, and I've been through every revision of it up till today. And what you do in your software. You know, maybe there are things that have a whole bunch more tangential stuff hung on the outside, but yours gets the work done in a simple, easy uh, way that's as focused as your one liner is. So I'd love to have you kind of tie some of those pieces together, because when we talk about a culture,
1: you're tying Mm -hmm. the cultural pieces together. Oh, thank you, thank you, Rick. Yeah, and and I know this is you, you've 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 very graciously made this about me. I really want to also make this about you and your your understanding of 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 obviously living a revenue culture, which is which is what you're all about. Um, but in terms of our, our software, it's really about the ability to do two things, and we call it R and R. It's reputation and referrals. That's ultimately what you're looking for here: is rep- build your reputation and or get referrals, and you can't. Have really have one without the other? Can you? I mean, you can't really have a great reputation and nothing gets ever done with it. It's no point if no one's referring you. What's the point of having a great reputation? That's the point of it, um, because a reputation, by definition, is the is the is the the, the pebble moving outwards, um, and of course, referrals are the greatest form of business that you can get. So what our software does is it works with LinkedIn to do those two things. It builds your reputation, generates referrals. Um, Now, it doesn't automate the referral part of it. It still needs a human being to work with it, finding strategic people to put you in touch with, et cetera, et cetera. But it it shortcuts that process. And one of the ways it does that is is we've created a network, which is what we think LinkedIn should have been. It really is a network of trusted connections all connected with themselves. So no bots, no spam, no automation, no uh, sales pitches, um, no fake profiles, human-to-human contacts. Now, each individual that joins us adds some of their trusted connections. And then when they connect to other trusted connections, like on LinkedIn where you have your first degree and second degree, The problem with LinkedIn is your secondary connections, you can have thousands of them, you only know a handful of them. So what we've done is we've separated those and created a separate database of trusted connections. So Rick, you can see my trusted connections, I can see yours and you, as we generate more trusted connections, we can see each other's trusted connections and proactively generate referrals. so i can go to the database and i can say who's rick looking to get in touch with while he's looking to get in touch with vps of sales he's looking in touch with cfos uh ceos whoever it needs to be we can then look for those people within our database see who we think rick should get in front of and if we can't reach them directly we introduce you to their trusted connection and then you work with that trusted connection and Mm -hmm. they take you through a warm referral to that individual this to me is the game changer of the future because it's all going to come down to warm referrals people cold calling it's you got to you got to be good to get that right facebook advertising social media advertising linkedin advertising massively expensive difficult to get an roi unless you have a big budget it's those sales are becoming difficult. You still need the human-to-human interaction. You still need, need a lot of content on link, on, on the internet because people make those buying decisions first. But nothing beats a warm referral. And that's how we yeah. do it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So thinking about, you know, and I, I'm obviously one of your happy clients, but when you think about your clients and you were talking about, uh, you know, the, some of the other firms that you've worked with, how do you impact their culture? What do they say after they worked with you for a while? That's been the impact.
1: <laughs> well, let's let's get controversial, shall we? Just right off the bat, <laughs> they generally say one of two things: uh, like you, happy, love it, wonderful, uh, or they say uh, this thing isn't working for us. And let's—I'm going to be controversial. The reason that's a controversial statement is because we give them many door cracks of the door opening but we do not fully open the door, walk them inside, handhold them and sell the deal for them. And you talk about from a, how do we impact a the culture? They don't, they say we don't work because they do not have a culture of going after sales. They will leave leads sitting there for days, weeks, sometimes never touching them. And that is a massive cultural issue that I see in many organizations. The hunger to chase even the sniff of a good quality lead. It's just not there. Rick, I don't know. You've got more experience in this than I have, but what I've seen is that, wow, I don't know how much money they're leaving on the table.
0: Yeah, organization. I mean, to have a revenue culture, you have to be able to... um, define the roles and the culture that are necessary to create the outcomes and then find people who are passionate about doing that work. And we see lots of organizations uh, where there's no one in the organization who wants to have a conversation with a customer to what we use the term, create a joint statement of work, sit down across the table from them and, and look at them And talk about if this is what you're trying to accomplish, and we know how to do that, but we have to work together. I mean, working with you, you defined my role as the things I had to create for you and the timeframes I had to live within. And so many people haven't built that into their their organizational DNA, and they just somehow expect these things to happen uh, almost accidentally or, you know, for some other way. So tell me now, you know, you mentioned you the, it. Yeah. You mentioned the other day that your experience in kung fu competition
1: has impacted your business. Can can you elaborate on that a little bit? So Rick, when I was with my my teacher who couldn't speak a word of English because he came from China um many years ago, uh after training with him, doing many private lessons with him, you know, asked him where this massive power comes from, because in in in, in Kung Fu, you have something called Fajing energy, which is explosive power, explosive energy. That's the ability to break boards and the one-inch punch of the movies, those sort of things, all of which is completely real, by the way. Um, and how do you generate this power? Uh, and he said, the movement creates the power and you use the illustration of a waterfall. Now, if you take a waterfall and you watch the water, right, from the top to the bottom, that water is falling down. Okay. But if you watch it and your eyes follow it, you'll see it looks very tranquil. So it can be a hundred feet high and that water falls down. doesn't, it doesn't from the top till just before it hits the water, completely tranquil until it makes a huge splash at the bottom. That's where your power comes from. It generates momentum, but it does it softly and gently. And that's how we do things generates momentum slowly. It looks like nothing's happening. It looks like it's just water. There's nothing going on until it makes a splash. And that is how it impacts our organization. It's the ability to make that splash. Now within an organization, you have many little droplets of water if they're all falling together, and uh, a waterfall can go up, by the way, because you can punch upwards and you can punch sideways. So waterfall doesn't have to just go down. In real life, in the real world, it goes down. But in, in Kung Fu, the waterfall can go any direction. But if, if if all those droplets of water are sticking together, and they're all synchronized, and so they're moving together at the same time, the splash is amplified by a monumental factor. So that's what we look at doing in an organization. Those little droplets of water need to stick together and they need to move together to make that big splash. Now, what gets in the way of that? Well, in a waterfall, you have rocks that stick out and they can create an obstacle of that path. And then some water sprays a different direction. Same kind of concept. So you have this waterfall. And if that waterfall falls down, the splash at the bottom is incredible that is how to create massive power in kung fu and that's the same concept on how to do that within an organization
0: you know um i i'm fascinated by that story because in, in i'm sure in all of our lives there are certain things that will never leave our memory and one of the ones that is never going to leave my memory is we were on lake powell and i don't know if uh, lake powell is a huge reservoir. Uh, really back behind the Grand Canyon. So it's it's canyons and, you know, fjords, and the canyons are hundreds of feet high. And then there's this lake that's 300 miles long in the middle of it. And we were in one of the fjords on that lake. And we didn't realize, it looked like a beautiful day to us, but someplace in the area, there had been a monsoon storm. And the the water from the monsoon storm must have run miles because we didn't even know the storm was around, but it came over the mountain or the the ridge of this fjord where the um, the walls of the canyon were two or 300 feet high. And all of a sudden all around us, there were over a dozen of these waterfalls. And the largest of those waterfalls, I mean, we're sitting there kind of watching this and this one huge one starts and we actually saw it where there was no waterfall. We got to watch it come down and and go into the lake. And what was astounding was the perspective we got, it missed a, a 60 or 65 foot houseboat. that was somebody's private boat that probably cost three quarters of a million dollars. It missed it by a few feet and it was clear That had this waterfall hit this boat, that boat would have been splinters. And I just never seen that kind of power generated. And it was exactly what you said. It was this, it was this beautiful, tranquil until it hit the water. And then you're going, Oh my gosh, how frightening for that boat that was just a few feet away and just missed it.
1: Yeah. How frightening for the competition if all the key members of your team act together and are focused in that way and live that revenue culture, like you say, and are orchestrated correctly with no obstacles in the way to remove them. That's the same type of power that's generated in Kung Fu. That's the, the way they broke that board is the same way they break bricks. People break bricks and and things with their hands. It's 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 extraordinary. They're capable of some incredible things. Um, and I'm loving that this analogy has resonated with you, Rick.
0: Yeah, And one of the things that just made me think of is when you were talking about creating the one-liners and we're talking about culture, um, we can create the one-liners and the one-liner can have great power and it can create results. But do you find some of the organizations you work with aren't good at building the essence of the one-liner into, you know, and you're talking about people who don't follow through, you know, it seems like when you create these great one-liners, the organization should be aligning themselves you should have aligned before. I mean, hopefully you're
1: capturing their essence in it. But Yeah, okay. That's so here's here's the thing. That's a good that's a good point. The thing is, in order for a one-liner to work really well, you've got to have that pebble, which has now been upgraded to waterfall. The waterfall is the correct analogy. I use the pebble to begin with because it's easier to understand, but the waterfall creates the ripples underneath. And you can't, you can't go, you can't go backwards up the back up the waterfall. So, so so you have to be specific. So that captivating one-liner with that very specific stream, very specific focus that makes that splash um, should be integrated into a company. But companies don't like to specialize. They refuse it doesn't you said yourself that you saw many different waterfalls and a company can yeah. have many different waterfalls but that's what that's not what most organisation wants most organisations want, want one uh, waterfall done properly that makes a huge splash that encompasses everybody and gets all the revenue and then they they take over the world but in reality that's silly it doesn't work like that you've got to have laser focused very specific streams people teams of people working together so the answer to your question rick is very few organizations have that in place
0: yeah i mean that that's you know that's the power i'm so glad we're having this conversation because that's the part of this podcast that is really hard to get organizations to do you know people will want a one liner or they want a, a good crm or they You know, they they want to do these individual things, but they don't seem to want to put all the pieces together. And that's why the culture concept is so important, because if you're not putting pieces together, you've got random uh, culture and and you don't ever get the the power that you were talking about. Uh,
1: What can I say, Rick? You understand it. You've got it. I hope the people listening to this also get it. Because it's it is it's a uh, it's it's not easy to implement, but it's natural to implement. And when you start the process, you will find you'll get it right. And that's what what people like you do. And that's why you're so passionate about what you do. And you you're generating the reputation because you, you you go into these companies and you help them.
0: Well, and that was so well said. Because it's interesting when we get to go into an organization and we get to uh, certify uh, enterprise teams where we're really working with not just the the C-suite, but the operational leadership as well and some of the key individual performers, the great engineers or the great software people or the great salespeople or marketing people are part of it as well. It's amazing to see how quickly they want to work together and they can work together once they have a, a, a thinking platform for how to do it. Uh, because those of us who are, you know, my undergraduate degree is in accounting. So I speak accounting, but if I go talk to marketing people and I speak accounting, we don't have a very good conversation. You know, if I'm going to talk to marketing people, I got to find a common language we both understand. And it's not about English or Chinese. It's about accounting versus marketing or engineering versus accounting, or we have to have a way to come together. And that's what gets so exciting about building cultures is when we give them a way to come together and actually have the, the joy. I mean, they get joy out of working as a team where six months before, Absolutely. they didn't like the other people very much. <laughs> so, uh, and, yeah. you know, what I what I see you doing is is helping to bring all that together uh, and you also help
1: bring them to their ideal buyer. Which you know that's a big deal. No, thank you, Rick. I don't want to overstate what we do because there's still a lot of work from the team and the and and the, and the organization to do it. You know, we start the process, but you know, with the referrals, with the warm introductions, with the way that we do it, it's just a different approach. It's just not something that people are used to, uh, and organizations are kind of like, yeah, it takes a little while for the the penny to drop. <laughs> well, the uh, you know,
0: yeah. That you do with the one-liner and the referral nature is we divide the world into in the simplest form, two halves. One half is very commoditized, very transactional, and it doesn't take much referral. It's I can I can if I need to buy copy paper, I can look up copy paper online, I can figure out it's a 20-pound, I can figure out. They sell it by 500 a unit or 10000 a unit. I can figure out pricing. I don't need to have a lot of help or conversation or I don't need your wisdom along with it. I can buy copy yeah. paper by myself. But if I'm on the other side, which our business is, where we, we are trying to create solutions to people's problems, we're trying to partner with them to make the world better, I need referrals. I need the right referrals to the right people. And so if if I'm on the, we call it the, the thought leadership side of the equation, I need a source to meet the right people at the right time. If I'm on the other side of the equation where I'm doing transactions, it's really about product availability is the quality good enough and the price. And, you know, that's one of the things we struggle with. And I just left a meeting yesterday with 20 companies all of which are on the side where they're in the thought leadership. And they're all struggling with uh, some form of lead gen or how do I get introduced? Because all the lead gen is what you talked about earlier. It's my embarrassing uh, message that still stuck out on LinkedIn that I wish I'd never done. That cost me $10,000 to do it. And I'm still feeling the pain. So you're in a different place than others are. And I think it's important that cultures match their their approach to uh
1: referrals
0: or to leads or to their messages and that doesn't happen very
1: often no thank you rick i appreciate that so what
0: advice do you have first what advice do you have for either entrepreneurs or senior leaders of companies that they should be thinking about in this this crazy time you know um People want to say, well, the pandemics, never seen anything like it. Well, then it's inflation, never seen anything like it. Supply chain, never seen anything like it. You know, I I look back since the year 2000, we've gone through dot bomb, 9-11, shooting war in the Ukraine, inflation, you know, oil shortage. The list goes on. And so we're in a time where we better get good at doing our jobs because the world's going to throw a lot of stuff at us. And if we're not good at our jobs and we got all this crazy stuff, you know, it's going to be really hard. So what advice do you have for the senior leaders? And I'm going to ask you the same question for, you know, what advice do you have for people just coming up in their careers? What should they be thinking about that, you know, they maybe didn't get
1: educated on in school? Wow. Um, So, I would like I would like you to, uh, to to those people to really look I think and appreciate the fact that they are okay and that they they're safe because the moment that you go into fear mentality and this again is a martial arts lesson the moment you go into fear mode you're dead. And you need to know that you're safe, that you're going to be okay, and your families are going to, be, your family will be okay, and you're going to have enough food to eat, and you're going to be okay. And, you, you know, things change in organizations, but people can move, people adapt, and you can be adaptable to do that. That's the best piece of advice I can get. God, they've never seen anything like it. They've never seen anything like it. And it's all about fear, fear, fear. You've got to reject that with everything you have and know that you are safe.
0: That it, I. That's like your one-liner. It's simple, it's clear, and it's powerful. Uh, and that really applies to both the leaders
1: and the new people. Yeah, absolutely. They've got to understand that. Well, if you're going to breed a revenue culture within an organization, your people need to know that they have that safety, that organizational safety and security.
0: I, I love that, and that. Of all the things I've heard in all the podcasts we've done, the simplicity and the power of that is is one of the best. So I I thank you for that. So last Please last question for you: Is there any any? I don't know how you're going to top what you just said, but
1: is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Only that referral is the highest form of flattery. If in in you you, if somebody refers you, it's the best thing that they can do for you. If they introduce you to somebody that they know that that and, and believe in you enough to give you that introduction, it's the highest form of flattery that you can have. Your mindset should be one of doing that for others, and that will allow others to do it for you.
0: Well, again, s- simplicity and power. And uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I guess that's why I keep trying to refer people to you. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, It's hugely appreciated. And likewise, Rick, likewise.
0: Well, I I thank Scott. I thank you for being here today. I thank everybody for for joining us. Uh, There'll be another one and we do two a month. So you can watch for these. Uh, Scott's will be uh, up and it'll be our focus for the next two weeks and it'll be online forever. So we hope you get a, a chance to enjoy it. Thank you.